0: When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Claps, claps, claps,
1: The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. (laughs) You've chosen to sign this new contract here at Arsenal, but what made you so sure that this was the best place and this was the right decision for you?
0: It's Arsenal, you know. Come on, it's Arsenal.
1: Let's just, let's just go again. Welcome back to You'll Never Sing That. You'll never sing that. First time to beat an opponent 100 times in English football league history. You'll never <laughs> sing that. An Arsenal podcast with Alexander Penny and my very good friends. Bradley Adams. George V. And my dog who's having a fucking hissy fit outside my room for some reason. I think he's saying that singing was... Abominable. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. In dog speak, I've got my fox's favourite crunchy, cream, golden, extra crunchies. I've got my nighttime pucker herbal tea. Arsenal five oh. points clear. Boys, I'm excited to get into this. Arsenal four, Everton nil at the Emirates. Um, I want to start with uh, with this. I- I've also realised that we've completely neglected word of the game for the past uh, few episodes, boys. So I- I'm going to need a word of the game, word of the game, out of you both. Um, But I'm going to start with humble as my word of the game. After the game, what said about Sacro Martinelli, it's a credit to them because in the end they have to do it themselves. But we try to help them with our way of playing by trying to get them in those positions as much as possible. They're so willing to learn. They're asking for more and more every single day and they never have enough information. They want more. They want the space. They want the practice. And at the end, when you have that and you have the talent that they have and the ideas that they have, at the end, good things will happen. I think for a team in a situation that we're in, for the first time for a lot of these players, could very easily take their eye off the ball at any if you. Excuse the pun. At any moment, I think the fact that we came out and we'll get into the more the tactical side of the game. I thought we had a um, we fixed issues in game. And also addressed some certain issues that we'd had previously against Everton and in previous games. The humility to do that, the humility to see the game out, to get the clean sheet, the humility to be five points clear, the mentality to um, to have that game coming down the sort of runway, the, the game in hand all this time, and to deliver that performance. I think this is a very, very special group mentally. And I think those comments from Arteta sum it up to me. This is a this is a special group mentally. Um, Brad, you were at the game. Give us a yes. give us a quick rundown. Um, I mean the
2: I, I had a bit of a, a shit view if it terms of analysis, so I've rewatched the whole game. But there's a few things I think to take away, which is really really interesting from watching at the game versus watching at home. Um, I was saying to Alex off air just before you popped on George that. Um, from where we were sat we didn't realize um that we'd had i think two shots before the saka goal because the way that the the, uh, the 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 kind of play was unfolding and where we were sat um it looked like to us the first kind of shot let alone shot on target from us was that saka moment and when we'd had uh, i think one or two before um which is an interesting thing thing to know if you if you're sat there every home game and that's your view of things it 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 really does start to tell a tale as to why people have certain opinions um <laughs> the crowd also didn't seem as lively but then watching it back you realize how much of the noise you don't get by just sat, sitting in one section um watching watching it back it was it was really booming uh, and also, you, I was right. I was basically kind of on the corner flag uh, on the right-hand side in the north bank. So I was right there for um, Eddie's uh, assist to Gabby, um, and the Edergar goal. Uh, both both brilliant goals. And we'll get onto the tactical thing later. But one thing that I have noticed, and I think it's a it's something that we should come on later in news and views. But um, w- we were the side that the players warmed up on. And I do have to say, I'm seeing a problem with Kieran Tierney. The look on his face when he's warming up, the looks on his face when he's on the pitch, even in moments where he he's not being used. Even though in in his kind of ten minute cameo, I thought he performed well. Uh, and there was a beautiful little kind of cross field ball to to Smith Rowe that I thought was executed excellently. I I I I think it's net, for me after watching that. It's a bit plain to see that he is unhappy. I've I've never I I and I think it's because it's such a staunch difference from his usual kind of aura and look and mentality and kind of workman professional. But there were there were definitely a few moments in the labored warming up that he was doing where it, it did not from 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 my point of view look good. But again,
1: I'm no body language expert, so we'll take that with a pinch of salt. Yeah. We'll come back to that in news and views. Um, we've we've opened up a lot of threads there, George. <laughs> um, uh, as I say, I, I felt this was a, a, a humble game. That's my kind of word of the game. I'm interested in your word of the game, your overall take, your overall feelings. Um, this felt really, I think as you were saying just before we started, quite special. Um, okay, we, we should have won the game. We're, we're a better team than them. But I think the mental side of this game uh, that I outlined can't be understated can't be overstated. overstated. Uh, I, you go. <laughs>
0: uh, one, one of those words works. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely something I agree with. I, I think <laughs> my is word of, <laughs> uh, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Um, it, it was, it was definitely a game that I felt, um, transformative for us, you know, for the word I'm going to probably say availability. I just felt our availability between the lines was something different in this game. We'll talk about that last 20 minutes, which is arguably some of the best football that we've played all season. But when I have a look at this game, why I think it's so transformative is I've been somebody that's very hesitant to say that Arsenal are in a title race. I felt that this team, if we were to do something, would have to do it on margins. It's not a team that I felt coming into the season would be in a title race. It's not somebody that I tipped for a top two. And when I look at this game, what it meant just, what was it, three weeks ago when we faced Sean Dyche and we had so many problems. It was the start of our little blip run in form. And in order to produce that kind of attacking football display without our spine, without our main attacking thread, it it said something to me. You know, we haven't beaten many teams 4-0, and I do think it was emblematic that it was Sean Dyche's Everton that you did that to. Um, we have a great record against Everton at the Emirates. I think they've won once and 26 times. That wasn't necessarily something I was worried about. I did not expect a 4-0 demolition, and that's what it was. It was an absolute uh, clinical work job um, where I just felt that the, the fluidity between the players took another step. Now, we weren't out, um, you know, where It was basically easy the full way through. I felt that there's things that we can talk about in the first half that we definitely struggled with, but to produce that level of attacking fluency without kind of your attacking leader in Gabriel Jesus felt significant. To do that with Thomas Partey on the pitch for only 45 minutes felt significant. To kind of do that with a new January signing that has really hit the ground running in Troussard, it felt significant. So... When I'm looking back at all these things, I I just feel as though that that was a game for me that I saw a corner turned. For many people, they're going to have a bookmark in the season if we do something special. And even if we don't, there's always moments in a season. And for some reason, I felt very good about this moment, not just because of a win, not just because we got back to winning ways in a very emphatic fashion, but because we did so with players that I don't think people would consider their A choice, their Plan A, and we did it as though the Plan A was playing. So I was very encouraged, and it all had to do with availability between the lines.
1: Yeah, and this is this is the thing is, and um, possibly what the mental side of this of this one leaps out of me is this is the kind of performance you expect of a Man City, you know, to be to to go into that game in hand, to go into that into that situation where they played a team who had beaten us and put us into a bit of a, of a tricky patch recently and to just show that sort of hallmark of champions and go out and be, and be humble and be direct and be be clinical and be and, and and find solutions within the game to win it. It's such a mature performance and such an intelligent performance. Um, and, you know, the 4-0, you kind of sit back for the last 20 minutes, you drink your pint and go, you know, here we go, boys, titles on the way. But I think it's important to remember what actually... Uh, gets us there is the fundamentals and the fundamentals were um apart from periods in the first half largely all there Brad your um uh your word of the game please my word of the game
2: is decisiveness uh and it, it's more to do with the first half than the, the second um from an, from a from being there it felt that we were quite um lethargic with the ball especially in the first kind of 30 minutes, um, it always felt like we weren't moving it quick enough to spring players like Saka and Martinelli. Um, and whilst it looks quicker on a on a rewatch, I, I think, again, we we lacked decisiveness between the lines. I've, I felt that Erdegaard being there hid a bit in the first half and wasn't getting on the ball and driving much. And like George has banged on and said, we need some central kind of running power. We need somebody in that midfield who can pick up the ball and run with it because I think that's something that we we do lack um, very severely. But we in, in every action in the first half where we had to be, we were decisive both in defensive thirds, both in midfield thirds and both in attacking thirds. I think that it's very easy to put the whole first half kind of, even if, it, I don't know if this is a word, but kind of the whole first half's languidity, like that kind of treakily feel to, to to our play down to to us failing to reach our standards. But Everton were unbelievably quick at getting back in shape. They were tripling and doubling up on our wingers within seconds. And it becomes very difficult to play the our brand of football when that's happening. But if you look at the defensive thirds, whenever we needed to, we were making the right actions and we were decisive, making choices and completing them well. And then when the opportunities came in the final third to be decisive, uh, a brilliant ball from Zinchenko and a wonderful finish from Bukayo Saka. And then, you know, the the street smarts from Saka to win that ball. And then Mart- Martinelli's finish, you know, it, it really was a game where Arsenal decided to be clinical in the moments where we could be, be clinical. And that's that's something I feel like, especially in the last few weeks we've lacked, is that kind of clinicity in Those final moments, you know, we've seen so many moments of Enketia through on goal and putting it straight at the keeper or just not quite getting that final finish. But I think that was a a real kind of telltale sign of a step up today that when we got those moments and you can see that our first big moment at goal, Saka, it's a goal. Okay, it took 40 minutes to carve, but we still took it and we didn't let the last 40 minutes get into our heads. I think that's an important thing.
1: Yeah, I, I think the decisiveness is is a good thing to pick out because I think we have we've had a slightly blunted uh, blunted sword for the last couple of weeks and and it, and it hasn't always worked out we've been relying on late goals and and moments really and this was this was a clinical performance we weren't always at our best but we had those chances we delivered and that's you know that's that's a really important sign and George like for me there was quite a big tactical thing that helped us to do that and I want to outline it and get your your thoughts on it I think when you watch the Everton 1-0 at Goodison the problem is is Everton's defensive lines are so compact so tight and so close to their goal that once you get into the final third it's almost impossible Jordan Pickford constantly sends it long so even if we win the second ball we're sat in our half and we have to get it forward if we do get it forward they've already got they've had that time in the period we be getting it forward to get back into that compact shape, and they're just really sat in. So it's like basically the question of this game for me was how do we pull Everton slightly out of their hole? How do we encourage them to just step up that little bit so we get a bit more space in behind? And I felt one of the uh, mature things about this performance is that we were patient. It didn't it wasn't clicking, it wasn't happening, but we were patient. And the way we did that, I think, is we didn't actually go with gung-ho with our press in that in that first half as much as we can and I think we encouraged Everton to come out a little bit more and just created that little bit of space and just cracked open the, the game a little bit and I, I think it's just that a bit of sort of maturity and a bit of humility where we're but, you know, I'm looking at, I was re watching the, re-watching the game earlier, and Saka's, there's so many moments where you think, you know, Saka step on, step on, but actually he doesn't. God step on, but he doesn't. He's allowing and encouraging Everton to step forward, and then they lose the ball, and we win it in a much higher, much more advantageous position without them in a kind of uh, clear and compact defense. And that was the big tactical switch from the two games for me, um, and the big reason why I think the game broke open. Um, when it did because that wasn't going to work straight away but I think what was it 40 minutes when Saka gets his first goal and you just get that one chink in the armour that one moment where Mikalenko just isn't concentrating because the line's been manipulated he gets it through fires it in and obviously Saka it's an incredible finish and, and that's the that's the clinicity as Brad put it but yeah I mean tactically how did you how did you see this game is that is, is that sort of in line with where where you're at or did you see it differently
0: Very, very much so. I'd probably just be a little bit more specific. I think we really targeted uh, James Tarkovsky and his aggressiveness in terms of that line. I think we made use of the fact that, you know, Michael Keane and him, although having a very good partnership, you know, he hasn't played a game since August. And I think that played a role in the very first goal. You know, Tarkovsky is a little bit aggressive. And, you know, Keane is trying to opposite uh, Martin Odegaard, who's drifted. But the real key here is where do we find Gabriel Martinelli? There's a wonderful still when you have a look at it. I think that there was two main jobs that switched in the half that I noticed, at least. Gabriel Martinelli certainly became a center forward for a large chunk of the latter half of the first half. And Zinchenko, as well as um, Granit Shaka switched zones. So typically, we're used to seeing Granit Shaka kind of in that left four interior lane. But he very clearly took a step back and allowed Zinchenko to be higher up and What that switch allowed was actually a little bit more freedom, and Zinchenko drifts in the end for the goal to receive on the right-hand side. But if you notice, uh, Gabriel Martinelli is taking up the widest lane in lane five. It pushes Bukayo Saka on the inside, and Martin Odegaard is taking the quote-unquote striker position, if you're looking at kind of the lanes in that front five. And for me, that just spoke of a team that, um, when you do have that still of Zinchenko playing the pass, if you notice, everybody is asking for the ball. Bakayoko is asking for the ball. Gabriel Martinelli is asking for the ball. Martin Odegaard is all asking for the ball, and they are all in space. And it all comes from a little bit of a James Tarkovsky stepping out of his defensive line. And I think between Mikulenko, you can kind of, you can kind of pass because I think he's watching Gabriel Martinelli. But in fact, you know, Tarkovsky's got to stick into Saka. One of those two has to make a choice. And I think that's what we did so brilliantly was we allowed ourselves to kind of push one of their center backs higher up. It disjointed their defensive line. And like you said, the, the lines between midfield and defence were no longer the same. Once you ask kind of a defender to either follow yourself in the midfield, you break up that solidity um, in the back. And, and that's all you need to do. That could come from a dynamic overlap. It could come from, you know, quick switches and play, which we were demanding as well. Um, this, I think, was just a really poor breakdown of Everton having to defend against this Arsenal team for an entire 40 minutes. And they were just lazy. And I think Sean Dice will look back at that chance really, really upset. But I do think it came from a switch when Zinchenko was asked to be a little bit higher. And we were forcing kind of Alex Iwobi and Dwight McNeil to really work hard in terms of tracking back and doubling up. I think they did a very admirable job, but they were getting tired. And it was very, very clear. Um, after I think, you know, Jorginho and Ben White had a little bit of uneasy moments in the first half, just individually on the ball. I think there was times that they were isolated and robbed, um, and Decore had chances to kind of go up. What we did really, really well was making sure that we didn't ask, let's say, um, Trossard to keep in that false nine role. He very clearly moved out wide, and I think Gabriel Martinelli's off-the-ball runs in behind Tarkovsky is what made them really double-check their ability to step up. So they weren't as confident to meet the midfield line. So those lines naturally created more space by just having a runner. And I'm sure we'll get onto it, by the way, in terms of what striker profile we need. But we needed both in the moment, in different moments in the game. And I think the team kind of showed that. There were times that, you know, Tressard was absolutely staying in the center of the pitch. But then there were times when Martinelli, um, you know, was in the middle as a striker. And it's not a case of just saying, listen, Eddie and that profile is better for this game or this opponent. Sometimes the game tells you what you need. And some of that meant that we needed to push them back. And I do think that was a really big tactical switch. And I saw something on Twitter, which I can't confirm or deny, but apparently it was Martin Odegaard that was having a conversation with Mikel, almost telling him that this is where the space is. And from that moment on, you saw Gabriel Martinelli switch through the middle and that for me is amazing. It's probably one of the biggest leadership moments I've seen from Martin Odegaard, if true, um, and I'll go by kind of the word on that, um, because he ne- he recognized the space, and I think it was making sure that we needed to get rid of that tarkovsky keen tight partnership, because if you allow them to stick together, then it's no problem for Everton to stick in a low block. I think the big key for them is they had the bodies in the middle of the park to force that. It was always going to be a case of making sure to create space between their center back and full back, and so I think that extra movement from us is what kind of really forced uh, Everton to kind of be confused about who they were marking and because people kept going in different areas of the pitch, but we always maintained our kind of two three five it just came from different people
1: yeah and I think I think what you were saying about the, the game kind of telling you what you need in certain locations is so right because. The game isn't the same the whole way through. There's different spaces appearing in different areas. There's more space in behind. There's less space in behind. We've got more of the ball. They've got more. Of the ball, whatever it is, and to have that ability to to rotate your players around a bit and try different uh, skill sets in different places and and try out different um, profiles in different areas is yeah, it's 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 really important. As you say, there might be a sort of long term specific profile in in the centre forward, but right now in terms of What we've got in terms of Martinelli, Trossard, Nketiah, Jesus, you know, there's a lot, and even Odegaard, you know, popping up as a kind of false nine. Could it be, you know, Smith-Rowe? All of these different profiles can be in those zones and can offer us different things. So, you know, yeah, it's it's certainly something to look at. Um, While we're on that, Brad, maybe I'm kind of, maybe I'm jumping the gun a bit. And I was told that I was jumping the gun a bit but follow hear me out i'm worried about eddie inkett's future at arsenal like you know not worried as in it's keeping me up at night but you know i'm 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 worried in a football sense if he if he is not seen as the person who is absolutely a shoe in to start when when gabriel jesus doesn't play if he doesn't start on the left if he doesn't come on, I, I'm aware he's kind of nursing an injury or, or something's going on. He's played a lot of football, all those caveats, all those sorts of things, I 100% agree. But if this is working better without Eddie and Katia there and Jesus isn't even back yet, I, I, I just don't see where... Because I feel like in the summer, we're probably going to go out for a left winger. We clearly went for, for Mudrick in terms of a left-sided player, so he they clearly don't see Eddie as the future of that position, and I, I don't think he was. And as we've said before, we've looked at the likes of Dusan Vlahovic, Izak, you know the, these types of players. So I think at some point, Arteta is going to try and move for a kind of defining striker in the in the sort of Haaland, Kane, Osimen kind of vibe. But those things don't come on come along, you know, very often. I just I don't know how long he's got left here if he's not the perfect replacement. Does that make sense yes um in the most brutal way possible
2: i d- I don't care like it's it's really unfortunate but at the end of the day there was a there was a moment again in this game where Eddie is clear through and he hits it straight at Pickford. Uh, and it's because he decides to take it on his right foot instead of his left. And it's another—it's an extra couple of seconds for, or an extra couple of milliseconds for Pickford to come out of his goal and close down the space. And Eddie Nketiah is a good striker. Eddie Nketiah is a, a decent squad player to have for a, for a top of the table side. But the problem is uh, with squad players nowadays and with squads nowadays, I think I did the maths once that um, if there's, there's somewhere between like 68 and 70 something games per season, if you reach certain points of all competitions, right? That's, that's a shitload of minutes. That's, that's a lot of time to fill. But the problem is, is, those minutes are becoming ever more important for Arsenal because it's not Europa League minutes anymore. It's Champions League minutes and you're coming up against better quality opposition sides and you can't rotate as easily in those moments. And if Eddie is not going to be the... Gabriel Jesus is elite at what he does in dropping, mixing the play, rotating between the left half space uh, and that left-hand side and the right half space and the right-hand side and connecting play on both areas and in both levels, right? Eddie is not an analog to that, and he's also not the elite level finisher that you would want for somebody who isn't as mobile and isn't as fluid. So then you think of him, and you think of him as a third option, which I think for a top level side having Eddie and Kettier as a third option is unbelievable. If you if you think if we got somebody the quality of Osiman awesome or, or or in the su- in the summer as like a bagsman, and we had Jesus, Osman, and Enketia. No club has that level depth. But here, I just, I do believe that while he is a good player, sometimes to reach the levels of success like City and to reach the levels of success, you have to be savage and brutal, no matter how connected the club are to the player and no matter how connected we are as fans. If they aren't cutting it and they aren't doing what they are on the pitch to do, Um, then we have to unfortunately maybe take the hit and move on. I don't believe he has a long, long long-term future at the club because I think we've seen it in his mentality in that he wants to be starting games and he wants to be playing football, which is understandable for somebody who has his ability, but Arsenal needs somebody who's going to put the ball in the back of the net every time he gets a chance. We can't have games like City again, where there's three golden opportunities spurned and If this game goes differently and the decisiveness isn't there, that last-minute Eddie Nketiah moment could be the difference between a point and three. And it is not long before Arteta and the board will be unwilling to hang their hat on Eddie Nketiah for those moments. So it's kind of two choices. He either starts putting those away and really fucking gets on his finishing, or it's just going to be a market solution. And I think it's unfortunately going to be more of the latter. I don't think he's... I, I, he'll be here next season. I don't think he'll be here after that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 do you know what? It reminds me a little bit of the Ian Atro situation at City where he was clearly a very, very good player. Just he isn't going to be their long-term centre-forward. And then when Aguero, uh, I can't remember who, they signed someone and who was sort of to compete with him. And it's like, okay, well then if he's, if he's not even your second choice, 100% guaranteed every single time, then... His role just point? becomes kind of, yeah. kind of, uh, yeah, silly. George, I want to get back to the game, but I don't want to lock you out of that. Any Anything you want to add on that just, just quickly?
0: I think um, it, it comes down to just asking what your expectation is of an Eddie Nketiah. You know, Is he supposed to be your starting centre forward? Uh, no. Um, is he good enough to be a starting centre forward in the Premier League? Yes. Is that for a top six team? Probably not. And so some of those questions just end up being okay, if we're if we're kind of agreeing on the fact that he is a quote unquote bench option, um, is that good enough for his career individually? like he's he's at a point in his career that he really needs to be the man, uh, regardless, just selfishly. Um, and, and I don't think he takes a step up because I do think he does in the end become clinical. Looking at his past with kind of the academy, he's got a variety of finishes. Um, we've really worked to improve him. He's becoming credibly complete as a footballer from his time with Mikel Arteta. I just feel as though similar to another player that by the way has just gone on loan and had a very good performance in Sambi Lakunga, our team is moving past them at the rate of his development. Do I think he'll get there? Probably, but but will it be in the next year or two? No, it won't. And I just think the team is developing faster than his development needs to. So I'm okay with it. I'm kind of at the point where it's going to be a choice between him and Balogun this summer, logically, right now, at least in the interim, and then beyond in 2024, it's very likely that we buy another market solution, and it'll be a choice between either buying a market solution or trusting Eddie, because maybe he's taken a step up, but regardless for me, he's already been a success. He's already going to generate you enough revenue, and he's done what he's needed to do from the academy sense in terms of contributing to the first team, so... For now, I don't think he'll be the top six solution. I've always compared him to Jermaine Defoe, in a sense, where I just felt like he will get you goals no matter where you go. I don't think he's an elite striker, but he will certainly get you 10 to 15 Premier League goals if you play him at number nine for 38 games a season. Um, do I need 30 if you're from Arsenal? That therein lies the problem.
1: Yeah, Yeah. yeah and then as I say, I think if he, if he's not your... Bang on, hundred percent second solution. You've got other ways of doing it that look a little bit better, or whatever. You just you just start to go. I'm not sure. Um, let's get back to the game. There's so many places I could go. Uh, I've got so much to, to say in so, so little time. Um, is there anything either of you want to get get off your chest? I, I've got I, I've literally got like pages and pages that we're not going to get into fifteen minutes. So I'm willing to be oh. to be led by one of you. But go on. Um,
2: something needs to be done about uh, head injury time-wasting because it's ridiculous. Uh, Onana went down four times in that match claiming to have a head injury that he did not have. Dukuri went down once. The ball hadn't been in play 15 seconds before the first incident of it happens. Legislation needs to be brought in where if a player stops play through a head injury, they immediately need a five-minute evaluation off the pitch and and you can't they can't be subbed and they have to play a man down for that amount of time. Because if if you are having the game stop completely around you because you are that injured, you are obviously that injured that you cannot carry on playing. And it sucks so much time and so much momentum out of a the game. There, was, there were two moments where Arsenal are on the breakaway in the first half, ready to incise. And we've got you know, somebody doing their best Tom Cruise impression. Like they've just fallen off of a fucking skyscraper in mission impossible 12 rolling around on the floor. Like it was honestly, it was doing my head in and I've said it time and time again, that is possibly becoming one of the biggest issue in foot issues in football is the fact that it's just so easy to stop your opponents having a uh, decent breakaway opportunities. Just go down, holding your head and, Then there was another moment uh, where he obviously simulated a head injury, got up, was running around, told the Arsenal fans to piss off. So he was obviously simulating and didn't get a yellow card. We need to be strict and clear about what the rules are and fucking follow through with them. Because otherwise, why am I spending £85 on a ticket to go watch the fucking
1: game? I'm not doing it to see him roll on the fucking floor. I'm here to see football. Yeah, I I think... I think there's I I imagine there will be stuff done about in terms of the actual time wasting but I think a bigger element of that is that we we know football is a momentum based game and I think it's almost like the opportunity cost that that comes with that is like it's not just the fact that you've stopped to move it's the fact that you've stopped probably maybe potentially two or three more in the same amount of kind of momentum and a and a, a kind of what's the word almost like the flow of the game has has just completely come to a, a standstill and and like that's the thing that pisses me off because it's like it's not just the, the moment and it's not just one thing. It's like a yeah, and especially when it, you feel like it's a tactic. Let's 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 do this. Um, the goals. I, I mean, they're just good goals. Like I don't have <laughs> much to say about on on the first one. It's a, it's a great finish from Saka. I mean, what's that stat now? He's the sixth youngest player in Premier League history to reach 50 goals and assists. Absolute fucking star boy off his weak foot. Um, I felt that that was a sort of a a consequence of the of the of the gameplay really, in that patience came off and uh, and, a, and a gap eventually appeared. But then it, it we're back to for the second goal that humility that I'm talking about is that hard work, it's that perseverance, it's that diligence. That again, those types of opportunities, we t- it's a lot of the hail end boys tend to score those types of goals, or or, or be involved in those types of goals like Nketiah, Saka, um, Emil. I, I was feel like was there. Emile Smith-Rowe was there, a, was there a game where Enketiah chased down the Leeds keeper or something yeah. there yeah. one against Southampton as well there's just a lot of that sort of stuff that it doesn't I don't know for some reason I, I feel like the hale boys. Alex I know what it is is it the guts they've and fire got the guts
2: and the, the goods and they fire in the belly Um the it might be
1: um, the, uh, the third goal I felt just came from the, the game slightly breaking open and then the fourth is just you know it's just a decent cutback I, I don't I don't think there's much sort of meat on that bone. But if we, if we talk about the players returning, um, Partey was back for 45 minutes, um, who I thought was ludicrously good at just, football. Just. It's just, it's just, it. like I, I'm, I'm, I said on this direction, like I'm trying to find the best analogy and I've got like the one about the, him in a music video where he's like sung it, sped up and then slowed it down. I've now got one about he looks like a dad playing with kids at a barbecue yeah. with a drink yeah. in his hand. And he's like, he's just yeah. so much better than everyone else. He could just absolutely flip-flap you and get it forward. But George, like, it's his verticality. Like, that is the thing that he get. It's like, I've never seen someone be so efficient at getting the ball in the most simple Brexit way possible forward. That's it. He just gets the ball forward.
0: It's yeah. amazing. Well, look, when, when we first got Thomas Partey, I was very famous in saying a lot of people are going to make the mistake in classifying him as a tough tackling DM. But for me, he's Tiago Alcantara. And I, I remember I got a lot of stick for that statement. And it was just because he is so unbelievably progressive. He, his first thought is to go forward naturally. That, that's what his instinct is. And I, I feel as though that there was actually a small switch in this game. I felt that he was a little bit higher up the pitch. Um, Than Zinchenko in this pit in this in this match, and I felt like he took a little bit more active role in getting us up the pitch as opposed to constantly anchoring. He, of course, was still somebody that was vital for us in defensive transition, um, but I felt that he took a little bit more responsibility in um, in sending those balls forward. And I've always felt he had the technique to do it. There was just times he rushes the play a little bit, but I just think he has an unbelievable ability to spot where the gaps are ahead of him when he knows that the area behind him is secure. That for me is when Thomas Partey is free. When when he knows that he doesn't have to worry about a defensive transition and he can focus on just finding gaps, there really is no better. Um, and, and I'm trying to find a similar type of player that I think has been able to do that and it's disrespectful, but you know, Alex Song is one of those players that springs to mind. When you gave him time on the ball, his slip balls through were immense. He just had a lot more other faults that, that, you know, made him a little bit more difficult to judge. But with Thomas Partey, he doesn't have any of those faults. In fact, if he does have a fault, he can catch you despite being 40 yards behind and eat up ground like nobody's business. So, he's just a Rolls Royce kind of footballer at the end of the day. And I I just think that he's coming into his own. He's becoming uh, important to the team, but also with his injuries, I feel like we're beginning to understand when he's fit or not. Uh, That's the one thing that I took away from this game. Like, you can totally tell when Thomas Partey is either nursing or about to get injured versus when he's not. Because in this 45 minutes, he feels free. He feels like, He's, pay, he's playing at the own pace of his own tune. Um, he's playing his own game, and everybody else is playing something else. And I don't think it's just a technical level. It's just, it, I think it's a fitness level, I'll be honest with you, because when he's not fit, he's not he's loose technically, and you can tell. Um, so it, it, it was incredible. I do think that Zinchenko being a little bit deeper helped him free a bit, and that stuff that you're talking about, about him finding people more between the lines. I think it's because he's got a little bit more of that security. And guys, I'm just imagining Declan Rice a little bit deeper, allowing him to even further express himself, because I don't think that we've seen the passing range from Thomas Partey. I know as ironic as that's going to seem, as he has. I really think there's another level he can go from a passing perspective. um, When he's not tasked to be the lone defensive transition, when he's not tasked to be our main progressor from the centre-backs, when he's not tasked to do all of these things. The one thing I'll end on is one of the best things that we did to granite Shaka's evolution was not just tweaking ways that he plays, was by reducing the responsibility he had. He's a type of player that, you know, he panics and he puts out fires. You know, that's just what he does. Uh, But when you slow and simplify his game, you end up seeing the best of him. And I think that's very similar to Thomas Partey. He doesn't mind operating in a chaotic system. He can do it. But if you simplify his role, he ends up becoming absolutely superb. Something different entirely. So, yeah, so much praise on him.
2: Lads, listen to this. This is Thomas Partey's game by numbers. In 45 minutes, he had the the joint fifth most passes on the pitch, with 60 with a 93.3% success rate. He attempted seven long balls, which is the joint top. He completed six, which is the top. One attempted through ball, one which was accurate. He made, where is it? Two tackles. And there's, I think he also, where is it? I'm just having to click through. Yeah, one key pass um, was fouled once. Honestly, like, Seeing it live was ridiculous. It was quite possibly one of the best 45 minutes of football I've seen a player play. I don't, I don't understand what it was. He was, he was the, the analogy of like playing through treacle or like he's, he he plays like a year 11 playing with year sixes. Like it's ridiculous. He is just on another plane than, than these midfielders. It's, it's naughty. It's
1: fucking naughty. Speaking about the players come back, we had uh, Smith Rowe as well. Um, interesting, we saw him out on the left. I uh, don't know whether it was a game state situation. Um, he looked fine. <laughs> I didn't have any particular sort of uh, uh, observations about him in particular. But great to have him back. And you know, I'm I'm really interested to see where this portion of his Arsenal career takes him if he can stay fit because I think he could be one of those players in the same way that, you know, when Jesus comes back, I think we'll have a probably a pleasant surprise. I wonder what they've been working on while he's not been in the team. I think that there's always something, um, you know, because I think while you have an opportunity to do some, some reflecting and some, and some listening while you're, while you're injured and I I wonder what that will, will have done for Jesus. And I think Smith Rowe might be used in some really interesting ways. So I'm, yeah, I'm really pleased to have him back. Um, That's probably all we'll get to on the game. I mean, I have so much more to say, but we'll probably come to it in news and views. Has anyone else got anything they want to add?
0: I I think burning thing is potentially the Martinelli at centre-forward. It's something that I've been banging on about for so long and something that we definitely saw more than once for more phases of play than just the goals. In fact, there was... uh, Unless you have something there that you wanted to talk about, but that was probably the one big thread.
1: We'll come to that... We'll come to that in news and views. the The thing that I felt with Martinelli is like, yeah, he's he's just not quite a winger because we're watching. Because you know, I think I said to you yesterday, George, it was like we're watching Bukayo Sakura on the other side, and you're like, that's what that is. That's what a winger is. That's that's what a that's winger can a winger. be in the modern game. This
0: is a winger. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, this is a winger, mate. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I'm sort of going, mate. Can you get on the? Can you get on the dumbbells and watch some Saka comps, please? And it's, you know, like when he's getting knocked off the ball by Alex Awobi, you sort of going, oh, God. But then in those central areas. Fuck mate, Alex Iwobi is fucking massive, and so's Dwight McNeil. Dwight McNeil is fucking huge. But Alex Alex Iwobi has such small energy. No, Alex Iwobi's massive. No, I know, but Alec, like, No, but he has like in terms of like his cosmic energy, it's small. It's small. Yeah. <laughs> he's like five five in my head. <laughs> nothing wrong with being 5-5 eh eh George yeah eh, George? nothing
0: wrong with it whatsoever <laughs> short kings I, st- I say short, short kings. kings you know
1: guys George is actually wait we saw him the other day he came over from Canada George is actually 4 foot 7 it's, uh... <laughs> George is legally a dwarf yeah yeah
0: I really come from Hobbiton guys it's not Canada I
1: uh... <laughs> no. yeah he's putting on the accent yeah uh it's also the first time I've let it break at the break since October at home. And speaking of breaks, We're
0: going to gonna have want. one now. <laughs> we'll see you.
1: After this. And Welcome back to News and Views, where we give you all the news and all your views, but mostly ours. Thank you to those of you who are in the Different Knock Members Club. Brad, your buy me a coffee better be the most energised thing I've ever heard in my life. You can join too at patreon.com forward slash diff knock and get access to ad-free versions of all of our content, which includes main podcasts like this one, bonus podcasts, instant reactions, the rewatch from Rohan Jiven, and bonus video content for... Done it again. Bonus video content for just three pounds a month, less than the price of a coffee. Speaking of coffee, for one-time support, head to buymeacoffee.com. If not you can
2: buy me a coffee.
1: Oh god. <laughs> oh dear. Please do. The links are in. Coffees are
2: so expensive. Cost the living crisis.
1: The show description. Just yeah, it. let's just outsource that fee to our lovely listeners, shall we, bro <laughs> Yeah, please, please fucking, fucking hell. do you, you pricks. <laughs> Um, we've had a question in from at Shamsdale who asks us, do you guys think Bukayo Saka good?
0: (laughs) I mean, um, yeah, probably. Yes. Uh, He's all right. He was the subject of my tweet today. And, you know, um, look, I don't want to go over old ground. It was a long road defending him, ironically, um, in, in terms of the rival fraternity, but at his age to be so devastating, it's just abnormal. And I think we've produced an era-defining player, and somebody of his mentality, I mentioned, it's not just gold dust, by the way, it's generational wealth. His, his kind of mentorship and what he's doing sets the road for an entire academy's dreams, by the way. It's not just individually what he's doing, but it shows the path. It shows an actual example, a living, breathing proof of somebody to do what you're attempting to do. And, and that, for me, in combination with how humble, and we've talked about it already, like he has to be discussed separately to Arsenal. Really, he does. Because if you start going into it, he's just too good. Um, Too good of a player. Um, And is he Hale-Land's greatest graduate? I I, I think so. Um, You know, we we talked a little bit about it on the pod. Nah, do you know what? Um, I'd sell him, I'd sell him (laughs) and get Bergovic, Michou, Fellaini,
1: Williams. Get your money out, buddy. Boys. (laughs) I've just put a link to a tweet in our chat. I'd like you to open it and come through with me. As we do, the Run In Rundown. I'm probably going to put a theme tune there. Uh, and I think every run in, run main pod now, there you go. we're going to have a look at the fixtures. We're going to have a look at what's left. Because uh, it's getting to that time. It's getting to that time. Next up... We have Bournemouth this weekend on the fourth of March. Then we're away at Fulham. Then we have Crystal Palace at home. Pff, winnable is the word that comes to mind before the international break. Bradley,
2: yes, um, nine points, please. I'm not. I'm not worried. I'm fucking worried. Um, Nah, I'd be worried if Palace was away, because I think that Selhurst is, at, is a bit of a cauldron. Um, I'd be worried if... Uh, who else? Wait, where's the other team that we're playing? Because this isn't chronological, is it? It's them, it's Palace, Fulham... And Bournemouth this weekend. Bournemouth, uh, Bournemouth's a 5-0, surely. Yeah, I'm not... I'm not worried. The only thing I'd worry about is maybe the away game at Fulham, but... Hopefully, hopefully... No Paulinho?
0: No, is it no Paulinho? No Paulinho for Fulham.
2: Oh, perfect. I think, and especially if we... Because there's rumours going around that we might have Jesus back on the bench for the weekend. That's what people were talking about yesterday at the game. So I think if we can get him some minutes against Bournemouth and maybe give him like 30-minute cameo against Fulham and then more against palace it almost seems perfectly set up i'm not these three games aren't the three games i'm stressed about i'm stressed about the uh, going away to to liverpool and then if we and going away to city and going away to newcastle those really are the are the three fixtures that kind of stick out to me as like where if we are going to drop points that'll be where it happens because i
1: look at the teams we've got to play at home we're then at leeds on the 1st of April after that it's four games george that we're not at leeds leeds with us yeah 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 that, Oh, you meant, yeah i meant at home yeah um it's four games george that you don't want to say sh- you should win or whatever but you, <laughs> should, you should win, win. <laughs> <laughs> uh in terms of the kind of overall shape of it though it's not it's not the worst running We've got five home games against bottom half clubs. Actually, if you include Chelsea, that's six. <laughs> uh, two away games at bottom half clubs, and then we've just got to go away. <laughs> just we've just got to go away to City, Newcastle, and Liverpool. Those are the three games that I'm worried about. Chelsea at home will be a piece of pie.
0: Look, I I think when you have uh, like kind of the title race, just in general, and you want to split in the run in, fundamentally, when you have a look at it you need to make sure that you maximize points that are outside kind of the top six, right? At any time that you face a top six team, you hope for the best, and you hope that whenever you're at home, you turn those into wins. Like the the formula for, I think, top four, I've always famously said, maximize your points outside the top six, that will get you top four. When you're in a title race, you must do that, but also win your home games, ideally, because those tend to be more difficult than away. Um... And if you do that, you're going to be there at the end of the season. I think when you have a look at it, I haven't done the math, but if you were to average the average team that we've faced right now, um, you're looking at somewhere between 11 and 12. That's not bad for a run-in, generally. We have a lot of teams, not just the Palace, the Bournemouth, the Wolves, the Leeds, the Southampton. Like That is quite a few bottom-table clubs that we have to face. And what I do like, that is probably ironic, except for Wolves, they're all towards uh, this part of, this, uh, of the campaign. They're not at the end. I really feel that bottom table clubs are not great to face when, you know, they're fighting relegation in May. Like, they're a different proposition at that mo- moment in time. A- and I just think, ironically, some of the teams that we face are probably going to be fairly safe. You're looking at Nottingham Forest. Of course, there's a big one with you know uh, Manchester City on, at the end of April, but then Newcastle is kind of the beginning of May. These are teams that are fundamentally safe. Now, you may want to look at it: are they in a top four run in? That could maybe change a little bit of perspectives, whatnot. But on the whole, you are looking at this fixture and you're and you're you're comparing it to Manchester Cities, and it is very favorable. Like you can't deny that. I'm now, I'm
2: looking at. Cities right now, they've they've still got Newcastle at home. They've got to go to Selhurst. They've got to play um, Liverpool at home. Brighton. They've got to go away to Brighton. They've got to go away to Fulham, and then two of their last four games are against Leeds and Everton. Everton being at Goodison both teams will be in the relegation fight, still come that point, and will be scrapping for their lives for points. I think as, as good as it is that we look at ours, I'm looking at ours and then I'm looking at cities and I'm going, I, don't, I think cities is harder, having two of the possible three teams in the relegation zone in your last four games of the season and still having to play Liverpool when they're chasing fourth, still having to go away to Brighton, away to Fulham. Like... I, and they've got Newcastle who are going next who are going to want to avenge that um, that cup final performance. They'll have Pope back and they're going to want to make an impression about them pushing back on for Champions League football. I think theirs is a little harder than ours which plays into our hands brilliantly.
0: And it's going to be rude but when you have a look at sorry just really quickly the games that are coming up and the players that are coming back I don't think you could have a better fixture list if I could pull it out of the out of my own individual hat. You know, with Jesus coming back, Emile Smith-Rowe not fully fit, you throw in Sporting as a club to go and travel to Portugal amidst Bournemouth, Palace, and Fulham. That's not bad from even a travel perspective. I mean, they're all London clubs, and so Portugal is a little bit far away, but it's not horrible. And I just think before the international break, we need to maximize... By not just having three wins right now, but having five wins. I really want us to really go in to that international break with that cushion. Because as you say, it's an easier schedule. Yes, there's no denying that. Is it in our hands to lose? Uh, Well, a little bit. We've got a five-point gap at this point. Now, can things happen? Can things that you don't predict happen? Of course they can. But you need to have the cushion. Part of the reason that we actually survived this run, I think, from January till now by retrieving those points is because we made sure to beat the teams that we should be beating, and it gave us a cushion going into the Manchester United game, the Spurs game. The mentality of that meant it wasn't a throwaway game, but we felt okay no matter the result because we had picked up the points previously. So I think that's been going to be the key when you have a look at the run in so to speak. Make sure we maximize points against teams that we should. And, of course, your Chelsea, your Newcastles, they'll be tough games, the Eddie had. But make sure if you can pick up points where you know you can so that you don't have to rely on picking up points at those tough grounds.
2: They've also got... Um, we've just got to hope they go through against Leipzig and that they switch their focus to the Champions League as well. They've also got the FA Cup to contend with. They've got They've got quite a lot of fixture congestion coming up. And I know that we do too, but they're in three competitions now. And um, obviously going away and playing... Much stronger teams than we hopefully will be in in certain draws in the in the Europa at least till the semis in the final. I um We've just got a. I think for me, we've got to really, really hope that they on the fourteenth of March that they beat Leipzig because I think if they don't, that can be the kind of nightmare fuel that turns Pep Guardiola into an absolute demon. Um, but if they get through they're going to switch their focus onto that 100% because they're going to want to win it. They fucked it up a couple of years ago against Chelsea and they've won four of the last five leagues. I, I think if you offer any City fan or Pep right now, would they rather have the Champions League or would they just hand the league to Arsenal this season? You know what they choose. So we've just got to hope they get through that. They're going to beat Burnley in the FA Cup, so they've still got to deal with another FA Cup fixture. We, um, yeah, I think the, the fixture list looks good for us, but... It looks good for us at the end of last season. I'm still a bit burned by that, so we've, we're just gonna have to wait and see, aren't we?
1: <laughs> All well and good, but George, did you say Bournemouth are a London-based club earlier?
0: <laughs> no, that that we're we're gonna be facing very London-based clubs in the near future. But
1: okay, I was I was worried you were insulting my hometown. <laughs> just for it was a brief moment. It's a shithole, Alex. Fuck off. <laughs> You're from Dunstable, you prick. <laughs> Bournemouth's lovely. People go there to die. And dreams go there to die. That's why I had to move quickly. Move to the big city. Move to the big city. To the big smoke. (laughs) To the big smoke. Let's do some questions then from Patreon. Uh, David Fitzpatrick says, "How soon before Saka gets a statue outside the Emirates?" Uh, If we win the league next this season, next next year, next year, just do it. If Arsene Wenger, if Saka gets a statue before Arsene Wenger, we've got a problem.
0: I completely agree.
1: I think they should. If we, especially if we win the league this season,
2: they need to build that statue for the parade. Imagine oh, they mate. un. Imagine we win the league and they unveil that statue at the parade, and it's gold, and he's holding his little gold Premier League trophy. I will be in a gutter in Islington somewhere, absolutely off my fucking rocker.
1: George, you've got if we if we win the title, you're gonna to come to, you're gonna come to London. Come on.
0: I think I have to. I'm not going to lie. I think I'm, I might have yeah.
1: to. You've got to come for the
0: parade. <laughs> yeah. You've got to come for the parade, mate. Yeah. It's got to fucking happen. Come oh, on. <laughs> let's get it. Uh.
1: <laughs> I'd love that. Maybe they can build the Nicola Pepe statue as well because he's been so poorly treated by Oteta. Um, Right. Uh, Alex Osborne asks, try not to be too fantasy or serious here. That feels like an oxymoron. However, George has mentioned his ideal transfer targets of the summer, namely Rice and Leo. How does he see them fitting in? And what would be their roles or impact of the team? And did you see that Rafael Leo retweeted a video about Saka today? Very interesting.
0: Well, um, I, I think that Declan Rice is self-explanatory. We've almost talked about him on the pod in terms of his role for so long. I, I do yeah. think... like. The, the long-term vision is a Carbohydrate, series. dude! <laughs> an, an excellent side dish, if not. Um, but Raphael with for the he's simple... He's a radical dude, man. Layouts for the simple fact he's one of the best wingers in the world. And I think he's in the last year of his contract. In terms of what he could be, he's everything that I think that, you know, an analog to Bakayo Saka on the left really is what it comes down to. And the more I see it, the more convinced I am about Martinelli in terms of a center forward. And so if I'm going to look at that long-term, it's going to be a position where I think I want more in. I really like Troussard in terms of what we picked up, but do I think he's kind of the next killer in that position? I don't know. I'd be looking on beyond him after that. And I think that left wing is a position that I, I would want to have another marquee person in. And I just think that Rafael Leal has that profile, that, that gravitas, that, Um, And when you have a look at it, Milan is somebody that's credited with interest in Flery and Balogun. So in terms of a deal, all the chips are lining up. And I just see it as the most efficient way to take the next step forward. Because, again, he is in the last year of his contract. So when you're looking at it, he's a maximum of 65, 70 million pounds. Um, As though that's a small amount. It's not. (laughs) But when you... um, but For a player of his quality. But, you're, yes, like, that, that's what that's what the point is. Like For a player of his quality, you're cheating. And so I'm always somebody that looks for value. And in terms of the team, he would be a marquee winger that would allow us to have the best wing pairing in the league. And, and that is something that I'm very particular about. I think that we need a marquee center forward or a marquee left winger, one of the two. And for me, my marquee center imagine, forward is more money uh, than a marquee left wing in layout. I just don't see a 70 million pound equivalent in center forward that gives us That many levels, you know. My dream, and we've talked about on the pod, and and I'm sure it's your dreams as well. And Osman, but he's not 70 million pounds. He's twice as much money. He's potentially 120 Oh God, is
2: Di Laurentis, mate? In it, we're not, we're not getting him out for 120. It's going to be 200 million and Saka's firstborn child. 100.
0: And one of the things (laughs) that I love, by the way, is Raphael Liao is not just a touchline winger. He is somebody that can come inside and interchange quite well with the center forward. So when you're looking at dynamics in terms of replicating the Jesus and Martinelli standpoint, he's somebody that does that perfectly and has been doing that since his Lille days. He's somebody that played off in that outlet, but also through the middle. And I just, I love him. A 6'2 person with that level of quick feet is abnormal. And he would give us more of a clinical winger, something that I don't know if we have. I know that Bukai Osaka is getting goals now, but I see him a little bit more in a creative profile. Uh, I want another goal scoring type of addition in the front line. And he's just the cheapest one out there for me. So, yeah.
2: Especially if you see Martinelli's future at center forward, you know, he's still uh, Martinelli. I think we forget still only 21, Like he could be playing at the top level for another 11 years. And if in the next two to three years, you see him developing into that, Kind of or even three to four years, that elite level centre forward, having Jesus, Martinelli, and Enketia as your centre forward options, and having Leao and Trossard on the left, and Saka, and then the opportunity to put Jesus out there, or Mario Martinelli out there, or someone else out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that, that as a six, Saka, Leao, Jesus, Enketia, Martinelli, and Trossard is fucking like I, I look around the league and I go n- name me another six better than that I'm looking at maybe I don't think City have that level of depth
0: and uh, it's all feasible uh, in, in my opinion don't, like, that, like that is the yeah. cost of it like it is not an, an an insane amount of money of course it's a lot but I do think combined with Rice and Leal, you're looking at what 165 million pounds in the summer when
2: come on last Stan was, yeah cough <laughs> up that's that's no but that's the same that we've spent the last couple of summers and if we get a good if we get a good fee for Balogun
1: like we've got we've got the Premier League winners money as well so you've got to take that into account
2: oh yeah and the Champions League money (laughs) baby it's all happening (laughs) oh he's frozen again silly bastard
1: oh I'm back I'm back um yeah uh we've had a question from Caleb Freeland who says does this Does his form in the last two games show that Martinelli's home is at center forward? And I think it's one of those things, isn't it? It's sort of what you were just saying, Brad, about the the group. It's like someone like Leao coming in, maybe Nketi and Baligan going and like plus one or whatever. It's like, how do we get the full skill set you need out of a front three? And you are just unable to get that out of three players. And you shouldn't get that out of three players because you need more than three players uh and you need to you need rotations you need freshness you need whatever and like Leao would add some height um Martinelli if he can become more of a center forward as a as a as a finishing center forward and a starting left winger in some games and what you know it's like what well, it's what we were talking about earlier in in certain game states it might be that Martinelli is a left winger in inverted quotes but he's actually playing center forward and Leao's on the left so it's you know it it <laughs> we're playing fantasy football here really but i i suppose the point i'm trying to say really is that it's about groups and we've got to look look at things in groups. We can't, I don't think we can any longer look at like, we need a left wing and a left wing backup. It's like, it's just not, it's just not how it's going to work in the modern game. Um, and I don't think it's how it should work. Um, in terms of the, how the dynamics work, I suppose that's for for each Mikhail individual. Well, for Mikel to figure out, but then each individual, you know, group of three is, is going, okay, you know, like I could see a Smith Rowe, Jesus Saka thing working like for me I I think that might that might be might be doable but you need to see it on the grass so yeah it's Uh, it's, would you like
2: some would you like some beautiful news as well go on Spurs are liquidated Raphael Leal uh, I'd hope so but no Raphael Leal is six foot two so he adds the height that we also miss in our front line
1: that's what that's what I mean that's what I was saying about the height like I think it's you know it's and he's a tall 6'2 I think as well Um, he's a big 6'2 (laughs) (laughs) Let's do this question. Where are we? Uh, 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 And maybe just uh, time for a bit
2: of Arsenal trivia.
1: No, there's never time. Unfortunately, there's no time. There is no time.
2: Get thinking about your theme, George. Yes.
1: We've had a question from at Tricky Reds 14, which perhaps takes us back into a run rundown, but prediction of how many points we will end up with?
0: Well, I was very much a person that said at the beginning of preseason, I don't see the 100-point totals. I think everybody's gone through a transition in the top six clubs, and I maintain that kind of assertion. For me, I really think that a late... We can't get 100 points mathematically. Exactly. We can only get 99. Exactly. So it's it's out. But also, I don't think the winners can, because obviously City can't now either. And I don't think that it's going to be a case of high 90s i think it's anywhere between 86 to maybe 92 points somewhere within that range is where i think we get and i also think is where the title race is won and lost i i don't think that the totals are going to be 95 plus i think they're going to be something like 90 91 maybe 88 those are the numbers that i'm seeing that wins the title And, and i do think that arsenal can get those kind of point numbers i think A lot depends on keeping your players uh, fit. If we have another Gabby Jesus or a Thomas Partey, we won't reach the maximum for me. I think it's very key that we're getting them back at this point. We've managed to somehow get through this three-month without really an impact on the points. I don't know if the squad can handle that again. Like, that is a lot. To lose another starter for another three months would be quite big. Um, So I think everybody fit, we can get there, but that's where I see kind of the title being won.
1: Yeah, so 13 games left um, means we can get 39 points, and that will be a maximum of 99 points from this situation. We've got some tricky away fixtures. I I, I think... I, I, I can't see another team... I can't see this team, because of what the fundamentals that we're built on, because of the way we play, because of the things that we that we do so well, and the reason we're winning, and the reason we're top of the league... I can't see us having a total capitulation, but I do think there might be a slight drop off as just naturally nerves come into it, and you know we're in more and more tight spots, and there's eight games to go, and there's six games to go, and there's four games to go, and it's it's you just do start to go fucking hell, like this is this is real, this is happening. I think that will ultimately there it's a young team that is it's going to affect them in some way. So I I, don't, I think we'd be stupid to discount that. Um, but as I say, I think what we're actually built upon is a str- is the most strong fundamentals that I, you know I've I've seen in an Arsenal team in a long time. So I, I don't worry about the football side of things. I I more worry about the mental side of things and coping with the with the mental pressure. This team has surprised me, but but you never know. So I'm gonna go for eighty-nine points.
2: I think we breach the 90 mark. I don't know by how much. I'm going to say 92. I think we'll get 92 because I think if I look at our fixtures, I think the big games that we could drop points to are Newcastle, Liverpool and City, but I don't think we'll lose all three of those games. And other than that, I'm looking at fixtures and right now the only other one that I don't pretty much see as as 3 points is Brighton at home could be a tricky fixture to play. Um but with with the way that, you know, Chelsea two wins in 16, I think like two league goals since December or something stupid forest are going through a bit of malaise palace don't look great, especially away from home wolves away, like at the Emirates Leeds at the Emirates, Bournemouth Southampton. Like I look at those games and I'm, you know, maybe this is the new me because I I'd always worry, but this team, I, I look at all of those games and, and just think wins. So I think the three games that we're going to drop points to, I don't think we'll lose all three. So I think we breach 90 and I'm going to say 93.
0: Hmm. Uh, I was very close to, um, Alex and I think I'm just going to double down. I've always felt 88. I don't know if we breach the 90 and I don't think that we've ever needed to, to win the title, by the way, I don't think the title will need that. Um, 86, 86 is our max is, I think it's 86 is
2: our biggest level points tally.
0: Yes. So I I definitely think we breached that, I just don't know by how much, and I think 90 is quite a bit. For some reason, between Chelsea, Liverpool, City, and Newcastle away, that seems like I wouldn't be upset if we got one or two wins from from that group, and and automatically that puts you at something like, you know, 95, 94 points, even just doing that. So um, do I think we may have like a surprise draw in here and there between Nottingham Forest and Brighton? Potentially. Um so I, I think eighty eight is yeah, it's smart. It's something it was what my gut said at the beginning of even pre season, you know. I don't think the title will be one past ninety, and so I think it'll be eighty eight. You you I think you boys are gonna be surprised. Mikhail's tricky reds. Oh
1: oh hello. Hello. Oh it's Mikel Arteta, we've just got time for Arsenal Trivia. Um let's do it. He told me, he said, Guys, you just got time for uh, Aston Trivia? Let's fucking forget- you- go, oh, boys! This is the this fucking is standards. You oh, never bro, miss no, the Aston no, Trivia. We didn't. Um, we didn't talk about Kieran Tierney.
2: Oh yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much to talk about. Looked looked very. It was like looked just disappointed and a bit dejected more than miserable. I don't think the case is lost. I just think that we need to start giving him some more meaningful minutes. He's coming on for the last 10 minutes of a 4-0-er. You know, the game's dead and gone. And I think that it's We shouldn't just, be so good then.
1: It's fault. <laughs>
2: no, uh, yeah. But I, I just... I, I do think that the Europa League will help, but I, I wouldn't mind against... I mean, I'll bring up the fixture list again, but for example, Bournemouth, I don't I don't think their wingers are particularly tricky. And I think that rotating Zinchenko and Tierney so that we keep Zinchenko fit for the last however long of the season. Zinchenko's already missed something like 12 games this season through injury. Uh, he had a big chunk out. So keeping him fresh and fit wouldn't be the worst idea. And it keeps a, a real quality player on side. I'd definitely give him a run in, but... Um, if if the head's not there and the heart's not there, and we move on in the summer, it'll be a shame. But he did just look quite dejected, which is really sad to
0: see. The only thing I'll say is between <laughs> it's <Mikhail> again <laughs> You got to answer when he calls. You, you can't go on, George.
1: No, no, George. Keep go- just just make the. I'll I'll answer it in a second. Just
0: <laughs> yeah. No, look. Uh, between sporting, uh, no, and- actually, I can't. I, I
1: can't leave Mikel like this. I'm so sorry. I'm- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, George, make the point.
0: No, from, 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 so, I think from the first sporting game, guys, till the Palace, we play every three days. Um, I, I'm not confident in having Zinchenko yeah. do that. I'm not confident having um, some of our other injury prone players, by the way, do that. Um, You know, uh, it, it's a difficult fixture list. I want Mikel to be true to his word. He said it in the press conferences that not only that, but Vieira, left center mid, you will see it with Martinelli. Um, that connection is there. And, and I think those comments are pointed. I just need him to follow through on what he says because I agree. I think that we need to have rotation. And, and I'm not worried for the games, but I'm worried for um, what the accumulation of points are going to be mentally. Because I think coming back in the run-in, you need everybody fit and firing, but also on side. And um, I don't blame Kieran. I'll be honest with you. There were times in our in our little blip that we all were crying out for another bit of thrust on the wing and there was definitely times that we could have used him a bit more i don't think we did um but again if look if he wants to leave that's a very different story for me in terms of what we keep i do feel that he is a very important player and we could have used him more um and and i think Mikkel can do that in the next couple games will he i don't know i hope he's less stubborn though
1: well um i think he's outside (laughs) i think that was i think that was him (laughs) Oh, he's just rung again. Oh, he's ringing again, sorry.
2: He's done for the fucking Arsenal trivia, guys.
1: (laughs) Last time out. The theme was players returning. And I asked you, who played the pass, we've mentioned in this episode already, to assist Thierry Henry's goal against Leeds as he made his return in 2012? Bradley Adams...
2: Uh oh fuck
1: what <laughs> come on me. Oh come you on. Got this Oh no. Oh no Black gloves <laughs> Black gloves. Went to Barca for the money.
2: <laughs> oh Alex Song, of course. <laughs> fuck.
1: <laughs> I was about to kick you off the podcast then mate. My my Jesus brain grossed. No
2: no no as in literally I'm not even shitting you. When, when we came into this, I was just like, like my, I had it in my and it's just left, like all thoughts just left my brain. And I could, I could see, oh, that was disappointing. That was nearly very embarrassing. <laughs> Thank you for the help out there, Josh. <laughs> of course.
1: Your question this week regarded wacky dudes for Arsenal. Americans, Radical men. Radical dudes for Arsenal. Americans or Canadians for Arsenal. Uh, and the question was, <laughs> call yourself an Arsenal fan. Oh, yeah? Well, which Canadian just signed for the women's team as a goalkeeper? Yeah? Oh, you're an Arsenal fan, are you? But exclude the women, do you? You're a sexist. Call yourself an Arsenal fan. Which Canadian just signed for the women's team as a goalkeeper? You sexists. Oh, you don't know that, do you? Oh, you only care about the men, do you? Yeah. Oh. Oh. Um, A theme, please, George. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh,
0: We're not answering that, so... um... <laughs> um, a theme a theme a theme let's do um places we have won the Premier league grounds we have won the Premier league oh love that
2: we won the league at <laughs> we won it at the lake boys
1: now we're at the end and we can you know there's probably Less people listening. Stanford, Rachel Trafford. Do you think we're actually going to do it? Yes.
0: I really, okay, I haven't been able to put my flag in it, but I'm coming over. I really... My flag's in the
2: ground. My flag's in the I, ground.
0: I saw something. That game, and I know it's a weird thing to do, but to do it against Everton, 4-0, I have this feeling. It's not even... I have this feeling that we the, can do The it.
2: connection with the fans are there, is there. Yeah. And like, I'm looking at City and the fact that like I, I I texted you I think I texted the group chat like Julian Alvarez is already making moves in the camp to leave and is really unhappy and there's real there's real turbulent problems going on behind the scenes at City there's this whole investigation that might see them relegated let, let alone fined and fucked as a club like there's there's big moves that could uh, that are probably going to really destabilize City in the next however long and they've got to come up against people like Newcastle who are going to want to make amends for that final. Like I, I think, yeah, I'm really, I'm really bullish about it. I think it's because it's not even, it's not even that we're, we're level on points. They have to make up six points to overtake us. What, what did us. it for
0: me is. I, it, I don't see. Eh. I, when you combine all the injuries that we've had and at the start of the year, we were five points ahead and we had these injuries. After 11 games, we are still 5 points ahead and our injuries are returning. And that for me is huge. So when you just have a look at that we we've yet to see the full potential of this team. By the way, I don't think we've played our entire spine for more than 10 times this Premier League season by the way. 8 games. 8 games. 8 yes.
2: games, 8 wins, 27 goals scored, 3 conceded. I saw it on Twitter
0: yesterday. It's scary. It's scary. So look, you keep them fit and you keep them wrapped in cotton wool. And look, I I am finally willing to place my foot in the believe column. I I really saw something um, after this game because I didn't predict. I don't think anybody predicted a 4-0 thrashing. I think you think of Bournemouth. You think of some of these teams as such. Except for that guy down there, bottom right. You know, (laughs) we should call him for bets. (laughs) (laughs) But um, no, I think I'm willing to put my uh my cap in the believe column. I really am. Yeah.
1: Oh, oh. if we fucking if I we fucking just, just like fucking it's, do it. it's one of them ones where I'm like, I don't wanna get hurt. Yeah. Do you know what like, I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like it's like when you're asking a girl out and you're like I mean like obviously like I don't I don't care or anything, but like, just if you fancy anyway. the if you wanted to, oh, you don't, well, no, no, I wasn't saying it was a date. I said it. Oh, you're, you're actually, you're, you're ugly. Like, <laughs> you're fucking ugly anyway, so I don't care. <laughs> Girl smells well, so I'm just gonna go cry to my mom. <laughs> <Fucking hell.
2: laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Or you, or you do one of the things of, I'm gonna hey, do hey it. let's just, let's go for dinner and just, you know, I'll sit opposite of you. It's not a date. I'm just grabbing dinner. Yeah. It's a convenient thing. It's not a date. Yeah. Look,
1: there's a cat. Look, okay. If we're looking at the calendar, it is the 14th of February. Okay, <laughs> there is a candle in the middle of the table. I mean, look. Okay, I've got a rose in my mouth. I'm just. It, what? It, what? You're. That's you. You're putting the meaning on it. You're. That's you. You've done that. No, it's true. Boy, gaslight game, keep boss. <laughs> Boys are going to win the league. I'm saying it. We're gonna. we saying it. We're all saying it. We're gonna win the league. We believe it, lads. Fuck. If we win the
2: fucking league, if we, if we, if we win the Premier League, I will get an Arsenal tattoo.
1: There we go. I'm. Wow. I'm recreating
2: flag of the ground. Yeah. I. I and I will. I will. And the three of us can can design it Unbelievable together. Sense. That's it. I'm recreating this. It, it can't be. Can't be shit. Right. It has to be something like. But like, a, like a, I will get an Arsenal tattoo if we win the league. I'm this recreating
1: year. that Zinchenko music video because I said it in one, of my video, in one of my videos. George, you've got to do something. All right. You've got to do something, George. George, is, George, George has got to come tandem, over the the to <laughs> <All right. laughs> That's it. <laughs> right. Done. Sweet. 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 <laughs> Thanks as always. And how about this?
2: Oh, wait. No, 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 go no, go no, no. Go on. No, no, no. I was going to say, we could, do, uh, we could do the same thing that we did last. If we win the league, we'll give away a shirt. Oh, mate. Because we said mate, that last season and never I'll got give to away
1: fucking ten shirts, mate. I'll give. <laughs> no, don't make I'll that commitment. Honestly, I'll that com- give. That's a lot of money. Every single person who listened to this, I'll give them. I'll give them a fucking blow job, mate. If we win the league, honestly,
0: <laughs> we are. Where's that anchorman beam? That escalated quickly. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: there you go.
2: Fucking I'll give
0: boy. you guys a high
1: five. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, no, no, not in a gay way, bro. No, I'm not saying that a gay <laughs> way. No. God, Dude, no. Oh my a, gosh. Not, not the a way, blowjob in a gay way, what? No. <laughs> I, I would give everyone a blowjob in a, in a, in a entirely heterosexual way. That's what would happen.
2: <laughs> Sucking dick the heterosexual way. Keep it Diff Knock, and we'll see you later. Peace.
1: Peace. (laughs) Peace. Thank you so much for listening to The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support The Different Knock, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. We're on all social media, at Diff Knock. Thanks.
0: Podcast Network.